Hello, my friends. I'm so glad that you could join me today. Welcome back to another episode of Anything Goes. Hello, Anything Goes family. Just wanted to take this moment to remind you that if you like this podcast and you'd like to see it continue to grow and improve, um, I welcome you to become a monthly supporter to the podcast. You can do so at anchor.fm forward slash Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H hyphen or dash Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N, and the number three. There on that page, you'll find a button that says support. If you click on that button, you can become a monthly supporter to the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. The choice is up to you. And if you decide that you want to be a supporter larger than that, or you'd like to do a one-time gift, then you can click on that other button that says message, and I can certainly arrange that with you. And as always, my friends, I always love hearing from you, so if you'd like to send me a hello, you can click on that message button and let me know, or if you'd like to be considered for a podcast, or if you have an idea for a podcast, send me a message. I always love hearing from you, my friends. Hello friends, I hope that this podcast finds you in good health. I know that saying is so cliche these days and some people are kind of over it, but I've said that from time to time and it's true. I, I, I really do hope that when you are tuning in that you are finding yourself in a better state. And if not, I hope that things uh, find themselves in a better state for you sooner than later. Um, Obviously, that's the better option than going the other direction and saying, I hope everything is horrible for you. Who would want that? (laughs) Uh, So that said, I hope all is going well, or you are at least able to move yourself in the direction of improvement. Uh, Well, here we are, uh, at least in my neck of the woods, another sunny day, and I am thankful for it. Uh, Allows me to feel recharged and rejuvenated. Friends, this time of year oftentimes tends to be tough for a lot of people. Um, I don't know what it is about the winter time in particular. Um, I can understand certain things that it could be, like if you live in an area where it tends to be overcast a lot, that can affect people. That's the whole, uh, what is it, seasonal affective disorder, and they make special lights that you can have around you that help you to feel a little better. Um, But nonetheless, I know this time of year can be challenging for many of you, and so hence why I say I hope that it finds you well. Um, I know that this time of year, uh, for several years, was difficult for me, Um, namely because I went through, and this isn't to go into a whole long story here, but just to give a little example and connection from my life. Um, when I had to go through a really unfortunate divorce uh, that I was not wanting to have, 
um, during the time of having to go through the divorce and all of the fallout from that, I had a friend who died from multiple sclerosis uh, that I was very close with. Um, and at that same time, around December, uh, my stepmother, uh, which her and my father had been separated by that point, but I still considered her stepmom, uh, committed suicide. And so December was a really difficult time for me for several years because it just reminded me of her and what had happened. Um, and knowing that this time of year is really tough for a lot of people. So with that being said, friends, um, and, and also given that it's been COVID, we've been locked in our homes more for safety. Um, I know that this is probably a tough time. And I, I just want to be one to say, if you do find yourself feeling isolated and alone and feeling blue, please reach out to someone. Uh, there are organizations that exist in some areas. I don't know if all countries have them or not. I hope they do. Um, where if you're really feeling in a real dark place in life, that you can reach out to them and they can help talk you through that and help you get help. If you're in a just kind of feeling a little blue state but not severe, reach out to someone, a friend, uh, someone you trust and that you know cares for you, or heck, maybe even a stranger on a bus that's just willing to be a listening ear. <laughs> and let someone know, you know. Sometimes it's just good to be able to chat with someone and to connect through life. Uh, this is something I've been familiar with because... While I never sought for this in my life, uh, it appears that something without or within me led people to feel comfortable, even people I didn't know, to talk to me about their life and their problems going on. Um, when I was younger, uh, I didn't really understand it, and it used to frustrate me because I was like, what am I, a, a sponge for everyone's problems? But I didn't understand. I was I was too young. You know, this happened to me from, you know, early age. Uh, I think where it first started to real, really happen more was when I was in middle school, um, sixth grade and moving on. And I didn't understand the value of what it was, and I didn't see what was happening there. Now that I'm older and I've been through more of life and I've had some training in some stuff as well, I've begun to understand the value that there is in connection and just having a listening ear at times. Um, I've also learned, uh, especially with my, my wife now, is that, uh, and maybe this is, I've heard this a typical thing, is that um, we men tend to want to fix a problem and aren't always so good about just listening and not sending a solution their way. I have learned to get better at that. Um, but that's just how I've always existed. People would come to me with their problems and want some help. And so I provided help. That's what I've been doing since a young boy. And I think listening is a value also, having some sort of plan moving forward is of value. Um, and, and this is something that I'm reminded of every time a situation arises in which those sorts of things I speak of 
come to pass. Uh, lately, it has been in um, talking with friends, um, friends who maybe have issues in their life that are more serious, you know, addictions or things like that, that um, as a good friend, you realize you have to be able to say something. You can't just continue to allow them to live that way. Not that you can really make them change, but in my mind, are you being a good friend if you are continuing to let that person live that way, knowing it is unhealthy for them and those around them, and saying nothing about it? Um, if there's one thing I've learned growing up, um, and certainly was reinforced in the military, it was that uh, there's really not a lot of room for being a coward. And I, I'll define it by saying a coward is not the same as having real fear. Uh, you know, there are real situations in life where fear, and fear exists in us for a reason, are valid. If there is a threat to our life, our health, that's a valid fear and a concern. But being afraid of what may or may not happen when you have to talk to a friend about a problem is not a fear that you should allow to um, keep you from doing what you believe to be the right thing. And that kind of fear can be paralyzing. That kind of fear can get in the way of progress and things moving forward. And those are things that you have to learn how to be equipped for. Uh, currently, I know there is a friend of mine that I'm talking to that is having to go through um, a challenging situation for them. Uh, they had someone they were interested in, and it turned out that this person was basically using them. And so what I know is something that has been of benefit to my friend in helping them figure out how to, how to walk through this and to feel what they're feeling, but not allow their feelings to be the end of the situation. Instead, what I am doing is taking my lifetime of experience and my training to help them understand how to navigate, how to um, very precisely look into these situations in their life and to, with a very critical eye, analyze them, to find the patterns of behavior within themselves and within the people they were encountering, to begin to find what things need to be addressed. And then, at that point, helping them figure out how to build some skill sets, uh, some soft skills that allow them to then prevent these situations from happening more often. I think I may have mentioned this in previous episodes before a little bit, but part of my background um, has been in kinesics, which is the study of body language. And part of my background has been in other skill sets I was trained in to allow me to get to a point of learning how to get the information I need from a person, from a situation. And it's a, it's a very complicated process to do, and it takes a long time to get good at it. Um, but it's something I've, when I've had the opportunities, I've tried to help uh, in business situations and in people's personal lives 
to figure out how to navigate these things. Because what I have learned through a life of walking with this is that uh, people are both predictable and unpredictable. And I know that seems paradoxical, but it is true. We are very predictable in our behavior. Um, there are very common things oftentimes that lead us to react certain ways. And it requires a lot of analysis to begin to understand the baseline for any particular person and what those motivations can be. And those motivations can come from faith. Uh, they can come from upbringing. They can come from trauma. Uh, and all of those things can then create the way a person reacts to a certain situation, a set of stimuli. And so what I have done, because I've learned this, whether intentionally or unintentionally in some cases, is to take all of that information and to figure out how to use it in a productive way. And so... These are things I believe are what we would consider some of those soft skills. Emotional intelligence is part of it, but there are other aspects as well. Um, what I can say is that when you are encountering people, what you, what you have to know, and some of you probably know this better than maybe some of you do, um, more of what you're going to learn from a person comes from what they aren't saying than what they are saying. And what I mean by that is body language, intonation, those things will tell you oftentimes more about what that person really is wanting to say or is saying than what their words are. It's not to say that words and actions don't line up. They can and they do. But oftentimes when people find themselves in a difficult situation, uh, whether it's to save face or to actively lie or hide something, uh, their body language oftentimes will tell you the truth when their words do not. Um, and that is, unless there's been a lot of high training, um, that is going to be a tell. There are things about the way our bodies react to certain situations that will indicate what is going on with a person, even if they don't tell you. So these are skill sets that I have developed over life and things I have tried to use in corporate situations to help companies when they are hiring people or when they are trying to figure out the, uh, the culture of their company, um, when they are uh, going through business negotiations to get the, the human feel of what's going on. Uh, and oftentimes I tend to be a fly on the wall, as the saying goes. I sit back. I don't engage. I'm merely there to observe the behavior and to then provide feedback to those I am working with to help them understand what I see going on, whether it is said or unsaid. In personal life, this is equally important. And in the case of my friend I was talking of, I am helping this person to navigate body language, 
how to read what they're seeing on a person um, and how to understand the intonations, the, the micro gestures, the things that happen uh, subconsciously oftentimes, many times, most of the time. And to then use that not to be reactionary, but to be responsive. How to use that in a productive way to get things where they need them to be um, and to keep themselves safe and in, in a good standing with people. Uh, and this is, this is a challenge because there is no crash course. I could sit down with anyone for eight hours and I can guarantee you what I will have given you is information and uh, anecdotal stories to help you begin to understand the examples of how this works. But it's as I taught my students when I was a teacher, um, I would tell my students, there is a difference between three things, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And oftentimes I would ask my students, who can tell me the difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom? And oftentimes I would get responses like, well, they're not that different. They're, aren't they the same? Aren't they parts of the same thing? And I would say, yes, but they are clearly distinct. And I've said this before in previous podcasts, but for the sake of what I'm talking about, I will reiterate it. Knowledge is just that. It's information. If I hand you a book on physics, it is just a book of knowledge. It means nothing to you. It has no value in your life yet. It's not to say that the information has no value, but for you, it has no value yet. If you know nothing about physics and I give you a book on it, it does nothing for you. It is merely knowledge. Now comes understanding. And understanding is then where the education process begins. It is to say, you now have knowledge, but let's help you understand how this knowledge works, why it's valuable, and how you use it. And many times I have encountered with people in life, that's where they stop. They've got the knowledge, they've got some understanding, and they figure, I've got it all figured out. But you couldn't be further from the truth. What you still need is wisdom. And we will come back on that right after this break. And we're back, friends. Uh, before the break, I was getting into the final phase, wisdom. And in the situation I was talking about, wisdom breaks down to this. It is the combination of knowledge with understanding, but in application within real life situations. This is where wisdom begins. So to put it in a situational uh, example here, I give you a book of physics. I help you understand the value of it and why it works. Um, that's, in my mind, the equivalent 
of coming out of school. You've gone to school, you've gotten your education, you've gotten your, if you're in college, right, you've gotten your degree, but that's not the end. That does not mean that you are now an expert. It means you are well-trained. Uh, if you've applied yourself well, um, going through an undergraduate study and a, a graduate study, if you've gotten an undergraduate and master's degree, bachelor's and master's, you very well have gotten your, um, as the colloquial saying goes, your 10,000 hours. It is the saying that I'm referencing that comes from the idea that in order to become a master of something, you need to have done it for 10,000 hours. I would say you've mastered the educational part, the, the knowledge and understanding part, perhaps. But now comes the, the lesson of wisdom. And this is where, this is why things uh, require some time to begin to understand them and use them well. Uh, and in the situations I deal with with companies and with uh, people in their personal lives, it is my job to first help them with the knowledge, getting the right information. And then helping them figure out the value of that and how that works and why it's of importance to them. And, and for them to begin to understand it. Uh, and then comes the wisdom. And that is saying, okay, now that you know this, go out and, and use it. Make use of it. You're going to mess up. You will make mistakes. But it's not about failure. It's not about mistakes. It's about learning from those mistakes because oftentimes we've been either society has taught us or our education system has taught us that if we make mistakes, that means we're not good at what we do. But I'm here to tell you that's not truth. If we make mistakes, that means we're experimenting, we're trying, we're, we're putting ourselves out there. Where the, the error lies is if we make a mistake and we don't take the time to understand it, to learn from it, and to move forward so that we don't continue to make that mistake. That is truly the problem. But to make a mistake, as the saying goes, to err is, is human. And so we're all going to do so. So why, do I, why am I telling you all this? What does this matter? What do you care? It, it matters because unless you are uh, some perfect divine being who makes no mistakes, who encounters no challenge that is ever a challenge to them, then this benefits you. Um, there are books that I've recommended to people that help them to understand some of these things. But again, it's knowledge and it's at best, some understanding, but not wisdom yet. And so I say this because I think as we've been in this pandemic, my hope has been, and my experience in talking to people, has been that many of us are realizing, perhaps for the first time, the value of things that we didn't realize were of value. And what I mean by that is the 
the interpersonal skills, the soft skills, the connection to people, the um, community, those things that we don't realize until they're not as readily available. And also realizing the critical importance in knowing how to read a situation and how to read people, and also knowing that the, the psychological and behavioral aspects of that help us to then also show ourselves in the best way. Not to say that we're being deceptive, we're being true about who we are, but being very cognizant of the fact that what we're putting out there with our body language and our intonation and our um, words can make a difference on how people perceive us and understand us. Now, that said, that's not to say that entirely the burden is upon you. Uh, it is also upon the other person in using their wisdom to ensure that they are deciphering from that person properly. And so this is something that is of value because now that we see uh, many companies doing video interviews, um, you're left with body language, but not much of it, right? Unless you're doing a full body video, you're seeing from, you know, the chest up. And so our hands, our facial expressions, the movement of our head, our eyes, those things are things that people look at, whether they realize it or not, to help them decipher what's going on with a person. And if you're aware of how that works, you can actually be aware of that and make sure that you are expressing yourself properly. Uh, we all have our nuances. Uh, for example, uh, sometimes in, in my life, when I find myself in a very difficult situation that's very frustrating, um, I tend to laugh at times. And it's not that I'm laughing at the person or the situation. Uh, it's just, uh, for me, I think it is something I learned early on in life, especially with um, some of the difficult situations I found myself in with bullying and abuse, is it was a way to help to detour any further escalation was by trying to laugh and seem as though I wasn't um, very bothered so that it didn't escalate or, or anything, even though that tended to backfire at times. And so knowing that, it's been something I've had to pay attention to is to think about whatever my natural inclination has been in a situation to make sure that as best I can, my body language is in uh, in step with my words. And that's important for all of us. And as we uh, progressively look more and more towards using technology and doing video conferencing and video chats for interviews, uh, we have to think about what we're seeing from that person and also uh, what we're showing them. Uh, it doesn't mean we mask, but we are intentional about what we put out there. Um, so with all of this being said, I'll circle back to where I started about some of the difficult situations people find themselves in in this time of year. Why is it of importance in regard to that? Well, as a, as a man that I learned some interesting lessons from years back, uh, he told me a, a phrase that I found peculiar very peculiar at the time, and as I've 
grown and matured in life, it has become more and more evident to me what it meant. And that phrase was this. He would say to me, Joseph, people are always showing you who they are. It's up to you to read the signs. The other part of what he would say was, what they say to you is important. But even more important at times is what they aren't saying and what they aren't doing. So what they say and do has importance, but what they don't say and don't do oftentimes has even more importance. And that seemed ridiculous to me because I was like, what do you mean what they aren't saying and aren't doing? How, what? Because I, I didn't understand it yet. I didn't understand what the implication was of what he was telling me. And mind you, this was a man in his early uh, or late 70s going into his 80s. Um, but as I was processing it and, and paying attention to what that might mean in life, I, I, I had that realization. And it was true. What I didn't realize at first was that I already knew this. With what I had learned with kinesics and other skill sets I was taught, um, and what I experienced and learned just through the hard knocks of life, um, it was true. What people say and what people do does give you some indication of what's happening. But equally as valuable, if not sometimes even more valuable, what they don't say, what they don't do, can tell you more. And what I've learned in my life experience in this has been that if I am trying to find out information about a situation, I know now that more often than not, the normal person I encounter, their subconscious will oftentimes tell me the truth of a situation, even if their words do not. I think the clearest example many of us can understand of that is if you've had children or if you've ever um, had to watch young children, they're pretty bad <laughs> at hiding their lies. Uh, they're pretty bad at lying to you and trying to be deceptive. Um, and so you could ask them, did you take a cookie? They may tell you with their words, no, but their body language may very obviously tell you yes. Uh, for those who have owned a dog, you know this as well. If you've ever come home and found something's been in the trash or there's something that's been torn up and chewed apart um, and you have a dog or you have multiple dogs, you can always tell the guilty party because you don't even have to change the tone, but you walk in and you see the situation and you walk up to the dogs, you'll see the guilt sometimes. You tell the guilty parties, I know I've had dogs and I've seen that. I can always tell who made the mess because they're the one that hides their, they lower their head, they tuck their tail, they kind of shy away, or they show you their belly as an act of submission and like, it's okay, we're, it's, it's peace, peace, you can touch my belly. Here's my, my vulnerable spots, right? Um, these are, these are things, now, 
you know, as adults, we don't see this in humans. People don't roll over and show you their belly because that would be strange. But <laughs> in humanity, uh, what happens is a situation could be something like you're you're trying to get down to, you know, what happened. As a teacher, I think about um, times where I've heard, you know, students come to me and, oh, well, this person said this. And no, no, I didn't say it. He said this. Um, and you have to decipher what's going on. What I have found is that their words are important, so I have to listen to them. But what I have to look at more is their body language. Um, and sometimes it takes what, what some people would consider an unorthodox approach. I don't say it's unorthodox. Um, what that means is, for example, if someone says, well, no, he did it. Sometimes what that means is saying, well, why did you do that? even though I don't know that that person did it, because what I'm looking for is the reaction from both sides. Because those reactions will actually get me closer to the truth than the words will. Oftentimes, within a few rounds of questions, I've figured out who's done what and who's telling the truth and who isn't. And oftentimes in those situations, I've found it to be true that both are at guilt to some extent. And both are um, <clears throat> being a bit hyperbolic on both sides. <clears throat> Pardon me. Let me grab a drink of water here. So in those situations, what we have to realize is that body language is always important. And as we're looking at doing interviews or we're meeting someone, if you're dating online and you're doing a video chat, getting to know them, especially during a pandemic, body language and intonation is of key value. You can learn more about someone without ever having to hear a word they say if you just pay attention to what's going on with their body language. Now, that's not to say that words are not important, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying turn the volume down uh, and just look at a person talking without any words, right? But it is of value. So to that extent, in difficult times of the holidays, if we can get better at learning how to pay attention to those things, we might realize there are people around us hurting, but they're not letting you know they're hurting because they don't want to come off as being weak or needy. Uh, when the reality of it is, everyone hurts, everyone has need, everyone needs to feel cared for and connected and loved. And so I think if we can learn to be better about that with one another, I think we can help each other to be healthier, happier. We might even save a life or two. To go back to the, the, the anecdotal story I've said a couple of times about the starfish on the, on the shore. We may not be able to salvage every one off the shore before you know, they dry out, but it makes a difference for every single one we can throw back into the water in time. Um, and so it's a value for that regard. Um, and we will be right back after this break. We'll be uh, changing gears a little bit, uh, but we will be right back. Okay, friends, we are back. So, moving into a different focal point, I think the uh, previous parts have been a little more serious and talking about something a little more heady. 
Now, looking at something a bit different. I was looking through, as I usually do, and I'm sure many of you do, different headlines of what's going on in the world. And I saw that um, there was a, a new game that came out called uh, Cyberpunk 2077 or something like that. Uh, it's been really highly touted. You know, people were talking about it because Keanu Reeves, the uh, actor, has been a character in it and he's been promoting it. Um, and so a lot of people purchased it early uh, with excitement and then come to realize the game had some serious, serious flaws. And, you know, we're talking about a game that nowadays you're spending $60 for the basic game or maybe you want to get like the, uh, I think for PlayStation Network, they have what they would call like a deluxe edition and things like that, which can be upwards of $100 sometimes. That's a lot of money to spend for a game. Well, in a very interesting turn of events, um, I think about some of the other games that have come out that kind of failed really badly, such as Anthem. Um, they didn't do this, but PlayStation with Cyberpunk 2077 actually issued refunds and removed the game off of their uh, stores. And uh, that says a tremendous amount about how bad this game was in coming out with the amount of bugs it has. Um, what that also says to me is perhaps this is a turning point where we begin to see more accountability upon game developers um, and game publishers. Uh, it would be no surprise for anyone who's a gamer who's been gaming for a while. Uh, you should be familiar with the concept of how quickly some of these companies produce games. <clears throat> and quite often they have bugs within them. Some of the popular games, like I said, Anthem was one that people were really excited about. Red Dead Redemption 2 and the Red Dead Online uh, have been known for having bugs many a times, even recently this year. A good developer, oftentimes, they, they will fix those and, and, and get them done with some quickness. Some, it would seem, don't care. And that's what we've seen with some game developers. Now, hopefully with Cyberpunk, that won't be the case. And they have said that they are trying to repair these uh, issues as quickly as possible. And obviously, when the penalty is that you're making no money, that's a big motivator to get it out there so you can continue to make money. But I would say one of the biggest culprits I've seen for this uh, where they don't seem to care has been EA, uh, Electronic Arts. Um, they have been, in talking to other gamers and even in my own experience, I would say they've been notorious for pushing games out before they were really ready. Uh, to give another example to that, it's almost like, like thinking about Microsoft Windows for anyone who's used Windows for any long period of time, you know very well that it was almost a standing joke that the new version of Windows is never a working version. Never buy the very first version of the new, you know, the very first copies of the new version that comes out of a Windows. There's always going to be a million bugs. Wait for the first major patches to come through, then buy it. 
it almost seems to be true with some game publishers and, and developers is that they rush to produce these things to try and make money, but they never follow through with any errors to fix them or make sure that there's a quality assurance at times that ensures that the game is at least at a decent enough stability that people can deal with the little quirks here and there as you patch them up. Um, I think, and anyone who's been a gamer would probably agree, that I think it has been long overdue for uh, a level of accountability on game developers and game publishers. Um, I think they have gotten too lackadaisical and have forgotten the fact that people are what make the money for them. And given the, the rising of esports and the tremendous amount of money that's within that, uh, and the gaming economy itself, what is it, something like o uh, over a billion dollars, maybe more than that, of money that goes through that, I think this is one of those areas where uh, it's unfortunate, but one has to say, consumers, beware, because... There are many publishers and game publishers and developers who do not seem to have the proper ethics and um, integrity to create a good product that they're proud of and that they stand behind it and make sure that their customer experience with it is as excellent as it can be. So my hope in seeing what happened with uh, PlayStation taking this game down and issuing refunds to anyone who got it, um, which, by the way, if you're looking for that, do a Google search for um, Cyberpunk 2077 refund. There has been a pretty heavy traffic flow, and they have said that if you can't get to the form right away, keep trying. But if you've had those issues, if you got that game and you didn't know about it, they are doing refunds. Um this is an issue that I'm hoping, as I've seen these uh, here in the United States, the uh, government doing these antitrust suits against Facebook, and apparently they're looking into it with Google and Amazon. I'm hoping that they also look into things like gaming. Uh, I love gaming, and I love good publishers that create great games. But I think there are many who have grown... Uh, to put it in the simplest visual terms, who have grown fat and lazy in their business uh, plans, their business strategy, their business approach, and have forgotten to care about the customer uh, and the quality of the work they make. And I think there needs to be a level of accountability upon game developers and game publishers, even to the point that there are penalties uh, for uh, poor behavior. Now, granted, one penalty is lawsuits, and that's not something I, I think I've seen a whole lot of. I think it would be interesting to see uh, class action lawsuits brought against game developers and game publishers who have repeatedly mistreated their customers and created poor products and not issued refunds, not done the right thing many times. Um, and given that this is a billion-dollar economy, um, it's something that needs to be scrutinized. 
I think if I were to say this, um, I think many would probably register it true. Certainly many of you that are in other countries. Uh, the United States many times tends to be behind the curve uh, from what other countries have done in their policies and their practices, antitrust laws and various things. Um, we're usually behind. Heck, even in the simplest way, when I came back from the military, <clears throat> I had a cell phone that the United States didn't even have yet. So I couldn't even get service on it because they were like, well, how did you even get this phone? I'm like, well, I got it in Europe. <laughs> it's been something I've known to be true. The United States is behind the curve on many things. We're not as innovative sometimes about our, or as progressive as we need to be for the sake of our country keeping up sometimes. And so I think even in these companies you see this. Granted, some of these publishers and developers aren't here. Uh, I think about a few of them, like with Anthem, there was a whole mess of that, and I think they're based up in Canada and Toronto, uh, or at least one of their studios was there in Toronto. I think there was a couple of them in Canada. <clears throat> Nevertheless, it's a uh, probably a tale as old of as time, which is that of as long as we've had societies and we've had some system of economy, <clears throat> there have been the haves and the have-nots. There have been those who have grown, as I said, in a visual representation, fat and lazy in their practices and have forgotten about those that support them. Uh, and we have to remember many of the people who are buying these games are not, you know, of great wealth. You have, in, as we call it in the gaming world, those whales, right? Those who spend tremendous amounts of money on gaming. But for many of us, this is a source of entertainment it is a, a small luxury in our, uh, in our average living. Um, you know, it, for some people, it's, it's a bit of saving to get a good game console. And certainly these days, with the expense of it, gaming consoles are quite expensive <laughs> for a lot of people, um, myself included. But when we forget about the people at the... Uh, for lack of a better way to put it, at the bottom areas of economy, right? Those who make up the most of the purchasing, but who have the least amount of money, <clears throat> or at least disposable money, disposable income. When you stop caring about them, then in my mind, that puts you in this elitist kind of place. You, you only respond to those who spend the most money. You only care about those who are the biggest spenders individually. And that's no different than the treatment we see within banking and lending and other areas where if you're rich, you don't have to worry about as much because stuff gets given to you. But if you're poor, you got to struggle even to get what you get at times. And unfortunately, we see that even in, in gaming. So my hope is that this gets uh, dealt with and corrected and... Um, there is some level of scrutiny, even lawsuits if it needs to happen, and government uh, intervention in the sense of <clears throat> perhaps antitrust things or other consumer protective measures <clears throat> that come into play. And I know for all of you, you're not all necessarily gamers, but I do know that here in my audience, there are some gamers. Um, it has become evident to me that y'all exist here, and I'm glad to have you here. <clears throat> so... If you've experienced that, 
um, I'd love to hear kind of what your experiences have been and if you've actually done the um, the refund process through PlayStation, what was that like? Um, if you have done that, please message me. I'd love to hear kind of what your experience was and what you've been through and what you've seen and what did what happened in the gaming? What what kind of bugs were you encountering? Um, and as far as the previous segment of this podcast, if this is something that you are interested in or something that you've also noticed, I'd love to hear your thoughts and your experiences or if you'd like to know more about how I can help you with um, the the body language, reading those things, the kinesics and all of that. <clears throat> Certainly message me. I'd love to help you out as I'm able. Uh, and finally, I'd like to end on kind of a last little newsworthy thing I saw, uh, which was, and this will come as no surprise, fraternities are in trouble. Shocker. <laughs> uh, I was in a fraternity, and even in the fraternity I was within, it wasn't without its uh, scrutiny, without its criticism for some chapters of it doing some really stupid things. <clears throat> in the, I was a part of... Uh, uh, Sigma Alpha Epsilon. In fact, I was a founding member of a uh, founding colony chapter uh, here in the U.S. Um, and so I was a part of leadership in that particular chapter that was founding itself. And uh, I ended up leaving it because I knew that there were things going on that I didn't agree with to the point that I actually had people from the headquarters come and talk to me because there were actions happening that I could not agree with and I didn't feel were good even having our our sorority sisters there because um, it was just questionable behavior uh, and I could, I could not in good conscience be a part of it. Um, there were those who still agreed with me and wanted me to be a part, but I, I just could not in good conscience remain there as long as that leadership that was endorsing it and that behavior was there. Uh, there were, there was illicit drug use and while I understand people kind of see that as being part and parcel with the college experience in a fraternity and there's movies done about it, the reality of it in real life is there are legal issues that come into play with that. Um, and I could not be complicit to things that could put me in jail or others. Beyond that, the use of drugs and alcohol were an issue that I saw that were um, questionable when uh, sorority sisters were there, and I did not want to see them being taken advantage of or um, put in difficult situations. Now, part of that was because I was trying to protect the integrity of what this fraternity said they were about, um, at least in the, uh, the bylaws of it, <clears throat> even though it didn't always act out that way in chapters. And certainly in the leadership I saw that was not willing to act upon that properly. Um, what I realized is seeing this in the news, right, about some of these <clears throat> uh, fraternities having heavy drug use and like, like some heavy, serious drugs involved in there, I'm not surprised. Um, there hasn't been a, a high level of scrutiny that I think has to be within student government associations, within university bodies, checking in on them. Um, and I think sometimes that hails back to um, this, 
kind of understanding of how much money perhaps that brings into a university. Because let's not forget, a university, as with any other organization, needs money to keep alive. And if you've ever done any research into it, you find out some of these universities have huge amounts of money, massive trust funds at times, that they use for funding the university and every other thing that they choose to do. Um, not always in the best actions and plans, sometimes forsaking things that should have been paid attention to over others, uh, but it happens. Now, that said, I'll say, I think there, were some, there are some very good things you can gain from being in a well-managed uh, Greek life or any other kind of sorority fraternity experience. Um, and don't get me wrong, a good party is fun, but there are ways by which one can do it safely and properly, and there are ways by which you cannot. Um, so seeing what was going on, I think one of the universities was UNC, and there were a couple others that there was evidence of this, this heavy drug use and distribution almost, like people were making use of it there. Um, honestly, it shouldn't come as a shocker to many people. Um, I think, as we've seen in, 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 in the pandemic and with lockdown and even the issues that occurred with students who were wanting money back from universities because the virtual experience they were getting from education became very apparent how poorly done it was it was or how poorly it was being done uh, at times and so I, I think this points back to again how we've focused on the wrong things at times and we've become more dollar centric than we have human centric uh, and this is nothing surprising this is nothing new but it is something that needs more attention and needs to be addressed and tended to. Uh, after all, a company can no longer, cannot grow well if they become notoriously known for having high churn rate, meaning that the employment rate turns over quickly, um, that they're known for having horrible work uh, culture. Um, that they know that the company is only thinking about the bottom line and they don't do what is in the best of their employees oftentimes. And obviously we see this in some of these bigger companies. Uh, I can certainly speak to Amazon having talked to many friends who have worked there and family who have told me, unfortunately, many times the same uh, story, which is the work conditions are horrible, they're not given the breaks they should have, um, they're they're treated as almost less than human at times. Um, and this is, this is pervasive within many different areas. Um, and I think part of that hails back to the fact that uh, we, we stop focusing on what matters in the sense of humanity. So am I surprised that sororities and fraternities, I would say more fraternities even, um, have these issues? No. Uh, do I blame the, the headquarter fraternities or sororities for these? To some extent, perhaps, if they have not been looking over them properly. But I also blame 
the student body, the student governing bodies, the, the university governing bodies for not keeping a better eye on things. Um, and honestly, I think it also comes down to vetting the leadership of any organization, any chapter of a fraternity or sorority. Um, oftentimes, and as I encountered in the one I was a part of, the the leadership, much of the leadership, not all of it, but much of the leadership I knew there, um, one, it was somewhat diverse, but primarily white culture, um, and the behaviors you see of that. And when I sp speak of that, uh, what I mean is these issues we've seen, such as the, I think about the, uh, the, the young white boy, uh, white, uh, or white young man, I guess I would say, because I think he was in his 20s. Um, at one of the colleges that was a, an athlete that was a swimmer or something who got in trouble for some actions he did with a woman. Um, uh, I believe it was, if not actual rape, it was moving that direction. And the fact that they tried to be light upon him uh, because they didn't want to affect his, his future. However, if it had been someone of color, it would have been treated differently. Um, I think there is some of that that is pervasive. And there were definitely uh, leadership that I saw that was more about party and, sorry to put it in these terms, but getting laid, as the saying goes, um, than it was about really creating something that you could feel honorable about. You could feel like you did a great job. You did something respectable. Um, and so really anyone who's been in university, anyone who's been a part of a sorority or fraternity probably knows that they've seen those kind of people in leadership. Maybe you were one of them and you've realized the areas of your ways now. Um, but there are many things that Really, I think I'm not surprised to see these kinds of things come up in headlines because uh, it it doesn't get checked like it needs to. Um, and that's that's something that, again, is an indication of how things have not been managed for quite a long time as they ought to be. Um, and if you've been a part of that, if you've seen that happen, um, one, if you're in a in a fraternity or sorority where you see these things happening, I would strongly encourage you for your own protection and uh, safety to speak up about those concerns. Uh, talk to your leadership, and if they won't hear you, talk to school leadership, and if they don't act on it as you need to, take it to those authorities that will hear it and act upon it. Because uh, much like I've talked about with the starfish thing, again, um, I made the decisions I did um, not to be bitter, not because I was trying to be a jerk, but because I truly con was concerned about what was happening. From a legal standpoint, knowing that some of the people within the, the leadership of the chapter were encouraging and also actively involved in um, cre uh, growing certain uh, drugs um, in basements, under couches, um, and actively encouraging the use of it when it wasn't legal, and certainly trying to offer that to those who were underage, um, and then propositioning some of these females who 
who they would offer these things to. Um, it was, it's important that you speak up and say something. Uh, whether or not the ruling bodies hear you and act upon it properly is on them. But it is to your best interest and the interest of protecting those other people that you say something. Um, oftentimes what happens is that because we ignore a situation or we, we think, well, what can I do about it? Or I don't want to you know, I don't want to deal with backlash because I've had to, I, I spoke what was the right thing to say. We, we do nothing. And in doing so, we allow it to continue to happen. Um, so if you are in one of those organizations and you see these things, speak up, say something, take a stance for what is right, even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, it was uncomfortable for me. I had to uh, talk with a a leader from the organization headquarters. I had to talk with student government association for the school. I had to talk to this to the school body. And ultimately, what ended up happening is they didn't they didn't penalize the organization. Um, I was simply allowed to leave without penalty uh, for dues because they were trying to play a little game with that the leadership. Um, and I was told to just no longer have any connection to it, which is essentially saying, okay, we'll let you go, but just, you know, stay quiet about it. But that's just not the right way to handle things. Um, a hush-hush situation is what allows people to continue to be abused. Uh, ignoring those situations is what allows to continue to let it happen. And I can speak to that with absolute certainty, given the fact that I grew up in an abusive situation. And when you go to those who you're supposed to trust, those who are there to help you, and they ignore you, you feel helpless. Where do you go from there? And certainly when I was dealing with eye abuse, at one point I went to a guidance counselor at the school to say, hey, I'm being abused. And what I was met with was a guidance counselor uh, who took me around to students she had who were abused, who you know maybe had a, a broken arm or were bruised and said, this is abuse you know, go back to class. And simply because I did not break or bruise easily, I was overlooked and treated as if it was not of importance. And this unfortunately happens within education and in many other things, even in business. And because of that, people get hurt, people get abused, people get mistreated, and it gets ignored. And in doing so, we, we devalue that person, or at least make them feel devalued. They're really not devalued, but we make them feel that way. And sometimes society is complicit in that. So if you've seen that in your organization, if you're a part of a sorority or fraternity and you see those things going on, for your own legal protection and safety, and for the safety of those around you that you care about, your friends there, speak up, do the right thing. Um, and there are people you can talk to, so make sure that you do that. Pursue what needs to be done. If you've encountered that and you've seen those things happen and you've kind of been through those situations and you'd like to share with me about what you've experienced with that, again, you're welcome to message me. I'd love to hear how that was for you and what you encountered um, because these are things that are pervasive. Uh, certainly, I've seen it here in the U.S. My guess would be that's probably happened in other places as well. Um, there are, as we've seen in this year for sure, there are a lot of um, chinks in the armor, as the saying goes, that 
really need to be addressed. Uh, there are areas in society that we have failed one another as human beings, and we need to tend to that in a gracious but uh, effective way. Um, because to continue to allow these things to happen is to be complicit in poor action and illegal action. Um, and you don't want to be that. Uh, you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be in that situation. And heaven forbid, because you were complicit to it, someone dies or gets brutally injured when you could have said something that might have prevented it. You don't want to be that person and find yourself on that side of the situation. Uh, so all that being said, this was a rather heady, deep kind of conversation. Um, but as I've said, anything goes and we'll talk about anything. And as I've said many times, a good painting requires some darker colors as well as some brighter colors for the contrast. Um, but in all of this, I want you to understand, friends, this isn't about we're all terrible people, right? Even if you've been in a situation where you maybe didn't speak up when you needed to and now you've, you know, you've realized why you shouldn't have, right? It's not about failing, as I said before. It's about how you manage that failure, how you learn from it and move forward. So friends, continue to grow, continue to be kind to one another, be gracious, be strong, speak up for what is right. Um, and let's make this world better. Let's learn from the ugliness we're seeing that's emerging in society and say, how do we do our part to make it a little better? And I will always say that part of that comes to education. That's why I always say, always be learning. Always be curious. Um, always be kind. Always uh, be creative. Uh, because sometimes you have to creatively work around a situation to figure out how to best resolve it. Uh, the standard ways of doing things are not always effective. And so innovation is necessary. Um, learning is what allows us to continue to grow and to effectively have an impact on what's happening in the world around us. And by all means, friends, remember that no matter who you are and how insignificant you may feel you are in this world, you matter. And even though there may be a thousand starfish washed ashore, each one you're able to get back into the water in time matters. And it's worth it for that one time or that tenth time or that hundredth time. Do it because it makes a difference to each one you have an impact on, even yourself. Well, friends, as I always like to end it, stay curious be kind to one another, find reasons to be good to one another, even when you disagree, especially when you are of different mindsets. Find ways to be kind to one another, even in your disagreements. Um, always be learning, always be growing, always be creative. And as always, friends, I love hearing from you and your hellos are wonderful. Um, I'm so thankful to have you here with me uh, from all over the world. We're in 13 countries listening in from ages 18 to 60 plus listening in. Um, I'm so glad to see the variety, even in, in the gender breakdown in the numbers I'm seeing, uh, primarily men um, and then women, and then we have non-binary and other. I'm glad to see all of you in this diversity of this community of Anything Goes. 
We may not all see things the same way, but it is of encouragement to me that see that we can even all come together in agreement upon some nerdy little guy doing a podcast. (laughs) Uh, So friends, until next time, uh, much love and prayer and concern be with you, and may your uh, situations improve, and may you find joy in each day. Be thankful and uh, show gratitude in each day. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time, friends.